Well, good morning, Calvary Church. It is uh, great to see you guys. Um, as I said in the opening, my name is uh, Pastor Tim, and I'm one of the uh, pastors here, pastor of students at Calvary Church, and uh, I'm excited to get to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we are going to be in Acts chapter 10. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, open your app to Acts chapter 10, and we're going to be continuing to look at the way that Scripture calls us to be witnesses for Jesus. Uh, last week, Pastor Kendrick taught about being a witness to opposition. And there were certainly times in the book of Acts where the early followers of Jesus faced hostile environments. They faced opposition. And I think we many times can relate to that feeling. It can feel like we're always uh, sort of with the world against us when we're talking about Jesus. Uh, But that is not always the case. And there were many times when the Christians in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, were witnessing to those who were willing and eager to hear the message of Jesus. And I think it's a mistake for us as well to assume that we are always going to be speaking to hostile audiences. Even in Los Angeles in 2021 in this crazy world, there are people who are excited and who are willing to hear the good news that we have to share. And uh, particularly when we can share this message, when we can witness with gentleness and respect, as 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to. And this uh, this sort of makes sense, doesn't it? The gospel is, after all, good news. And the gospel is, after all, truth. Truth that makes sense of the world that we live in. Um, And so it should make sense that when people have their eyes open to see this truth, it is something to be excited about. It is something to be accepted. Um, When we hear the gospel of Jesus and rightly understand it, it gives us a right understanding of ourselves, of our world, and of our creator. Um, And so for many... um, they will receive this message with, with eagerness. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at sharing the gospel with people who are willing and will accept. And one of the ways that we can speak about this willing audience, this, this person who is anxious to hear the gospel, is to describe them as a divine appointment. And that's sort of where we're going to be focusing today, witnessing to divine appointments. And so this is a way that we can speak of an encounter with someone who, uh, that has been set up by God, not by our planning, not by the best of our uh, strategizing, but God has clearly opened the door uh, for someone who is ready and willing to hear, uh, meeting a Christian who is ready and willing to share the gospel. Uh, we may not realize it at the time, but we can find ourselves in these, these places where God has brought us to the right place at the right time to speak freely the good news of Jesus. Um, We could even call these gospel opportunities as they arise in our life. Um, And this is part of the goodness, the greatness, and the wisdom of God, right? If God is is as powerful and as all-knowing and as all-wise and all-good as we believe, it certainly makes sense that God would set up these, these opportunities to share the gospel with them. One way, as I was thinking about this sort of encounter, um, I thought of a song um, by Taylor Swift, the great bard of our days. Um, And Taylor Swift in this song writes about, I did Finding Nemo the last time I did this, so I'm just like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what those two have in common. But in this song, uh, Swift writes about meeting a significant other. And she writes about all of the times in her life, all of the strange situations and strange um, um, heartbreaks and, and just problems that have arisen, and how all of them have seemed to lead her to this place to meet this person at the right time in her life, at the right place. And she says it's as though through all of it there was this invisible string that tied us together. Through all of the circumstances that I couldn't know at the time, there was this line that connected us that brought us to this right place at the right moment. And this is sort of what we speak about with a divine appointment. This is not fate. This is not destiny. This is the planning and movement of God um, in ways that we cannot see at the time to draw us to the right place and the right time. 
God's providence. And so today we want to look at um, one such encounter that happens in the New Testament of people being drawn to the perfect place in the perfect time. And this is with the Apostle Peter and a Roman centurion named Cornelius. This is in Acts chapter 10. We're going to read this entire chapter, uh, which is a lengthy chapter, but I think it's important. First of all, I don't know if we can do uh, anything better with our time than to read and hear God's word to us. And secondly, this is the most detailed and, and, and full account we get in the book of Acts. And so Luke, when he's writing, when he's putting this together, Luke think this, thinks this is very important. So important that in chapter 11, he's going to say a lot of the same stuff again. He really wants us to see what's happening here. He wants us to feel the details. He wants us to see everything that God has orchestrated to do this, um, this incredible encounter. So turn with me and read along with me as we dive into Acts chapter 10. This is what it reads. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he, st- and he start- stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier um, from among who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being led down by four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. And the next day he rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit with anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent me. Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been answered, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. 
He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is, acceptab- is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead." And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all of the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard him. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for your miraculous work to bring people to know Jesus. Father, with our time today, help the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart to be pleasing and acceptable in your eyes. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is an amazing account. This is one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts. And Luke pours so much artistry into the way he tells it, into the details that he reports. As we said before, Luke says this is important, and he just shines a magnifying glass on what is happening here in Acts chapter 10. Um, it is one of the, uh, the pivotal moments in the church as the church's focus and their mission is redirected by God. And, and in Acts uh, chapter 10 particularly, you can't miss the Holy Spirit. He is just on display. He is front and center. And there are so many just amazing and miraculous things happening. There are visions. There are angels speaking to people. There are voices telling people what to do. Uh, God is arranging what is happening here. God is making very sure that what happens here goes the way he wants it to and that it is painfully obvious that only God could do this, that God is working miraculously here. Um, And so we we don't want to miss that. We want to focus on that and see what we have to teach here today. I think this passage shows us a lot about what our job is as witnesses of Jesus and how we are directed by the Spirit to join in the mission of God. But before we do that, we want to we address some of the things that are a little bit harder to understand, and we want to see some of the things that this passage talks about that we should not expect first when we are sharing the gospel as well. There are some things here that are described, but they're not prescribed, 
right? The Bible is telling us what happened, but it's not telling us to expect those same things to happen every time. In fact, there are a lot of things here that we might think of as unusual. There are a lot of miraculous events happening in this chapter, right? As we, as we talked about, Peter is standing on the roof and experiences this amazing vision in which God is speaking to him directly. Um, we see an angel appear to a man and t- give him detailed instructions of who to go talk to. Um, we see what Peter perceives as adjustments to God's law, right? Uh, changes to the purity laws in Leviticus. And when we see speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit falling in a visible and an auditory way so that the senses, these things are, are visual, these things are auditory, they are they're physically happening in a way that we don't always see. Now, this is because um, this is a huge moment in the history of God's salvation for his people. This is a huge moment in the history of the church. It is the definitive proof that the gospel is for all nations. Previously, the gospel had mostly been around the Jewish people, right? It started in Jerusalem. And all of Jesus' first followers, the apostles, they were all Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And the church had mostly stayed among the Jewish people or Jewish converts, Well, now here, God himself is pushing the gospel mission farther outward. He's telling them without a shadow of a doubt that this is to go beyond the walls of Judaism, that Judaism is not the way into the gospel. It is to go out to all nations and all people. And individuals from every nation who have followed Jesus um, will be acceptable in his sight. So this is the first major time this is happening that is seen by the church. This is probably the first Gentile church in the world. And that only happens once, right? And and it leads up to where we are. We are a church that is on the far side of the world from where these events began, that is filled primarily with non-Jewish believers in Jesus. And this is not unnatural for us, right? This seems normal to us, but it is normal because of the precedent that is set here. In In the law, a lot of times you will get a case that is what's called, it sets precedent, which means that it's going to affect every other case that happens afterwards. This is a precedent-setting moment in the history of the church. And so it is repeated in Acts chapter 11 when Peter goes to report to the church in Jerusalem. And it's going to be repeated again in Acts chapter 15 because this is so important. This changes everything. And so because of that, God is moving in in a way that is particularly clear, that is particularly miraculous to give vindication to these events. So let's look at three sections of this story to break it down to show how God is doing something special. God is doing something momentous here. First, we see Peter, right? Peter and what we could even call his reformation, his being reformed, his, his mind being changed, right? Peter is one of the big three apostles. Um, we know that, that Jesus had his 12 followers who were with him all the time, who had special authority as those who had been with Jesus, and Peter is right at the top of the list. Peter gets pulled aside with Jesus all the time, along with James and John, and so he is a significant figure, and he's one of the main leaders in the early church. Um, we don't have that same authority, right? We were not with Jesus. We were not one of the foundational leaders that, that Jesus built the church upon. Um, so this is, a, this is a big moment, right? It's, it's not insignificant that Peter is the one here who's, who's responding to this call. We uh, are picking up with Peter in chapter 9 when he's going around doing mission work, and, and he does these miracles in chapter 9. He heals a man who is crippled, and then he raises a woman from the dead. You know, no big deal, right? Just like some regular ministry stuff. No, this is crazy stuff. Like, he is doing the work that Jesus laid out for him to do, showing with signs and miracles um, the gospel and its power. But the biggest miracle is yet to come. It's not the, it's not the uh, paralysis being healed. It's not death being reversed. It's the gospel going to the Gentiles and the Jews. So that was how big a deal this was. This is bigger than life and death and resurrection. What? This is the gospel going in ways that I never could have imagined before. And, and, but Peter first has to have his anti-gospel prejudices changed. 
God challenges what he believes about what it means to follow Jesus. He challenges what it means to be a Jewish person. He tells him that no longer these, these food requirements, these, these rituals are going to be necessary to follow Jesus. He's setting those things aside. Those had a time and a place, and they were good in their time, but they are set aside now, and the gospel can go out without those hindrances. So he's told this, first of all. Then he's told to travel to Caesarea. This is the capital of the Roman occupiers, right? It's not a place they like to go. This is the, this is the representation of all of the things they hated about this empire that had conquered them, that subjugated them. And then he's told to go to the house of a Roman soldier, a Roman commander. Um, if there's a more vivid picture of Rome and its power over them, you can't find it. Um, and he's supposed to go into this home and welcome him, share a meal with him, all things that were taboo for a Jewish person. And he's to do this, um, and, and, and receiving this instruction, he's perplexed, it says. He's confused by what God could be calling him to do. God is challenging his prejudices. He's showing him that before he can go and do the work that God has called him to do, he must be changed. He must reform his heart and look at the Gentiles the way that God does, to be prepared to go and, and, and love them, not just to tolerate them, not just to speak to them, but to love them and engage in real relationship, community with them. By having one of the most significant apostles change his stance, um, God is showing something significant. And then we look at Cornelius, right? Cornelius, this symbol of, of Roman power, um, is strangely a God-fearer when we meet him, right? It, is, it would have been really odd for an Italian-born Roman to come to the edge of the empire and just decide to become a follower of the Jewish God. But that's what happened. We don't know how, um, but he has not converted to Judaism all the way, but he is worshiping, he is praying to, and he is following some of the piety he's giving to the poor. He's doing these things that Judaism would have asked to do. He, he's, he's seeking after God. He's known by his character. He's known by his religious devotion, um, and he's searching. This passage shows us that he's even teaching to others. His household is searching after God. Some soldiers under his command. It mentions a devout soldier. He's teaching those who he has authority over to fear God and to obey him. But although he's a good man and a religious man, he's not one who has been regenerated. He's not one who's met Jesus. And so his religion, his piety, doesn't do him any good. The Spirit is working in him, giving him instructions to lead him to what he needs, to lead him to Jesus. And through Jesus, he's going to hear the gospel story, the story of Jesus. He's going to believe and repent in faith and lead his household to confess faith in Jesus and to be baptized, to start this first Gentile church. This is a one-time shift in the understanding of God's missions. God's heart is for all the peoples, for all of the world. And for the rest of church history, this is going to be um, where the church goes. And the final piece here we have that is out of the ordinary is the Spirit's authentication, right? The Spirit's authentication. When they confess faith in God, the Spirit falls on them and they speak in tongues. Um, this looks exactly like Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the very first time that the Holy Spirit came, right? Um, and, and it is so unmistakable, you cannot miss it. To the point where Peter says, listen guys, can anyone here deny that God did this? No, it, it's clearly not happening. This is, is night and day. This is God working here. Uh, the Holy Spirit is giving his stamp of approval in the most clear way possible. I am doing this. This is my will. This is my mission. You guys need to get on board and keep going. That's what's happening here. And so in many ways, this is, this is a special moment. And we see this all through the book of Acts. When the gospel goes to new frontiers, when the gospel breaks a barrier and goes to a new place, it comes with signs and miracles and, and um, tongues even in many times. 
And there are accounts of this continuing today, of people who are bringing the gospel to nations and peoples who have never heard of it before, who have never heard the name of Jesus, and having crazy, unexplainable things happen to accompany that message. We can't put God in a box in the way that he's going to take his message forward into new territory, right? God will work the way God will work. But that also doesn't mean that it's going to happen every day. That also doesn't mean that these are the normal moments. This is a fork in the road, big time, uh, barrier-breaking moment. It's not an everyday thing. So we can't control God or compel God um, to do these things. And if you followed, professed faith in Jesus, and you didn't have like this visible like cloud fall upon you, and you didn't speak in tongues and heal someone from the dead, you didn't miss out, right? You didn't do it wrong. This is not something that comes every time. The Spirit is always working, but He is not always working in the same way. And that's okay. So when we look at Acts chapter 10, we shouldn't be looking for these miracles. We shouldn't be looking for these signs in the same way. We shouldn't be expecting to hear from an angel who just visits us in the middle of the night, right? And that's not what he's telling us. The point of this whole passage, where it leads to, the big idea here, is that we are to look for where God is working and to join him there. We are to look for where God is working and join him there. God is advancing the gospel of Jesus to all peoples and all places. And this is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8 that we looked at at the very beginning of this series, that the gospel will go forward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's expanding. It's moving outward. Um, and Peter sums this up really well in verse 34. This is kind of the big idea that this whole place leads us, that God does not show favoritism. He's not partial to one people over the other. In every nation, in every people group, those who repent, those who believe, those who walk in, in the fear of the Lord and in his ways will be acceptable. They will, um, they will find Jesus and be saved. This is God's mission. It is his work to restore a fallen creation. And although we are not Peter, and although we are not the first apostles, and we may not experience the same signs and wonders, we have the same task. We are to look for where God is working, and God is working in our world, and we are to join him there. God is still drawing people all to himself. He is still calling us to share the good news with the people that he has prepared. This is what it means to be a witness for Jesus. And so when we witness to those who are willing, to those who are uh, divine appointments, those who are ready to hear the gospel, it is because God has been working in their life. And now he has called us to join in to his work, to jump in where he already is and see what God will do, just like Peter did. God doesn't need us, right? God is moving. God is working. God is not um, waiting on us, hoping that we can figure it out, right? But he graciously invites us to join him in his work, and the rest is up to him. So with the rest of our time today, if that's the big idea, to see where God is working and to join him in there, that's what it means to be witnesses. I want us to look at four lessons that this passage gives us about what it means to witness to divine appointments. And some of these things are really practical ways that we can live this out, that we can learn um, some practical lessons from Cornelius and Peter. And other are sort of the big picture foundational teachings that the Bible has that help us make sense of our world and make sense of these encounters that we are going to have. Four lessons for witnessing to divine appointments. The first is that the Spirit is working ahead of us. The Holy Spirit is working ahead of us. The book of Acts is a reminder um, that the mission of God's people, the mission of God, is so much bigger than you or I, right? It's so much bigger than what we can do. It's so much bigger than Calvary Church, honestly. And what our church, from its history, from the first day it opened to whatever the last day it's here, it is bigger than anything that we could do or imagine. 
We've been called to something um, that is global, that is cosmic, that God is doing. Um, God is always advancing the mission. It is never the human beings. It is never our job as witnesses to advance the mission to the next step. God is always the one who's driving this forward. And time and time again, the Holy Spirit is working first and then inviting us to jump in and join in that work. Um, The Spirit continues to be at work in our world today, in the people around us. He goes before and he prepares the way. And, and we see this preparation two ways, right? First, God is preparing others to receive the gospel. God is always preparing others to receive the gospel before we could ever have the chance to share with them, before we could even have a chance to preach them and tell them the story of Jesus. God was working in the life of Cornelius a long time before Peter met him in Acts chapter 10, right? We don't know how he came to know anything about God, whether it was the witness of Jewish people, whether it was seeing their lives there. We don't, we don't have that part of the story, uh, but God knows, and God was instrumental in every part of it. It was not an accident that he ended up there. It wasn't an accident that he found devotion, that he found an element of the truth of, of knowing and following God. Um, <laughs> but we do know that, that it was God who was doing that. The Holy Spirit's work is to draw all people to God through Jesus Christ, and, and to help us to know Jesus truly. He works through Scripture, right? He works through His Word, and through the ministry of, of His church, through other Christians who are speaking, who He's guiding. But these are not the only ways. The Spirit can use anything in our lives to bring us closer to realizing and really seeing the truth of the gospel. He can use our minds as we search for a worldview, for a way of understanding the world and, and what we see in our experiences. He can use our desires as we look for fulfillment and happiness, um, as we seek out something to, to make it all make sense, the things that we love. He can use our senses as we experience and, and see what is good and beautiful in our world around us. And he can use our conscience as he convicts us of the sin that is in our own heart and in the world around us. God uses all of these things to bring us a step closer to hearing and understanding the gospel for the first time. All of these point to truth, that God is our creator and he is our savior. God can use anything to bring us close to that. But all of these things ultimately are insufficient if we don't bring us to Jesus. And that is ultimately where the Spirit is leading us. It's where they led Cornelius. Through whatever means got him that far, he needed to encounter Jesus. Anyone who is willing to listen and consider the gospel of Jesus has already been experiencing the work of the Spirit. The Spirit's already been there and gotten them to that point. Without the Spirit's leading, we will not listen. Without the Spirit going first, we will not be open to the gospel. Sin has, has too strong a hold in our heart. We need the Spirit to go first and break down that hardness of heart to where we can hear for the first time. And in the end, it is the Spirit who leads Peter to Cornelius and leads him to accept in faith. And this is the good news of Jesus. The Spirit is also preparing us to rightly proclaim the gospel. At the beginning of Acts 10, Peter is not ready to go preach to Cornelius. He won't even, he doesn't want to go in his house. He doesn't want to be seen with this guy. How in the world is he going to share the gospel in love and respect? He can't do it. His heart needs to be reformed. His heart needs to be changed to see things the way that the Holy Spirit sees things. To experience the gospel truly and not the prejudices that he brings with it. He needs to be changed first. The Spirit is continually at work in our lives, right? In the lives of believers to make us closer to the image of Christ, to help us to see things the way God sees things. He helps us put to death our old self and put on the new life in Christ. 
He guides us into truth. He convicts us of sin, and he unites us to Jesus. God knew what he wanted Peter to do, and he prepared him to do it. He does the same for us. So what might we need to change in our lives to allow us to take part in the work that God has prepared for us? (laughs) Buddy. (laughs) What what anti-gospel beliefs and prejudices are we holding on to that are preventing us from seeing what God is at work doing in our world and, and from joining into that work? We must walk with the Spirit, knowing that He's going before us and He has something for us to jump in on. And what is our loss if we can't see it, if we can't follow him where he leads us. So the Spirit is working before us. Secondly, God prepares providential encounters. God prepares providential encounters. And this brings us back to the idea of divine appointments, right? An encounter that is brought together by God. Um, We should expect God to give us divine appointments. We should expect God to open up opportunities in our everyday life, in the people and places that we encounter, to share the gospel. Well, why should we do this? It's demonstrated by Peter and Cornelius in a really miraculous way, right? It's kind of hard to miss when an angel says, hey, go with these guys. I sent them, you know? But, so if we got that, that would be great. But oftentimes, uh, we won't, right? But we can still trust that God is working. God is leading us in places if we can be aware of them, if we can look for them and be prepared um, to go where he um, has led us. This is what we call God's providence, right? God's providence. That's a fancy word that just means God is continually and actively upholding guiding and caring for everything in creation. There's this idea that's common uh, in our culture and and over the last couple hundred years that God just kind of made the universe and he kind of cranked the back of the clock and then he just set it there and said, go, you know, it's it's running itself. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is actively at work from the highest levels, from the galactic, you know, huge level down to the microscopic, holding all things together. This is God's providence. The Bible tells us that it is God who feeds the animals in creation, that he is the one who waters the earth, that he moves kings and nations, and that all things happen according to his will. So put simply, this means two things. God is always active all of the time, and it means that he is always present all of the time. He's infinite. He's not limited by time and space and, and, and uh, by the enormity of being everywhere at all times. Um, God uh, sees everything. Even the smallest details of our lives do not escape his notice. And so God is here. God is present in our lives. He takes notice of what is happening which is, should be amazingly comforting, right? We are never on our own that God, like, missed that one. No, like, God is, is guiding what we are going through in life. It has not escaped his notice. This doesn't mean that we don't have the free will to act and to, and to respond and to, and to be a, a real, like, uh, autonomous being, uh, but it does mean that there are not accidents, there are not mistakes that happen in our lives. Um, the places that we find ourselves, the people we encounter, the acquaintances we have, the friends we have, the family that we have, the church community that we have is not an accident. God has placed you here to be with these particular people. And he has a plan in that. He has work to be done in that. This is all part of his providential care for our lives. It may not be as as blatant as with Peter, but it is always there. And so we can trust him. He knows what's going on. He knows who we're with. He knows where we are. He has set us there. And so we can expect that he's going to open up opportunities if we will keep our eyes open to see him. We've been doing a study with our small groups, and, and in the course of that, we were talking about God's presence and God's holiness. And, and the key is to, that not that God is absent, right, but that we have trouble seeing his presence. We have trouble seeing his action. 
And so we need to constantly trust that even when we can't see it, God is there and he has set this work for us to do. So God is setting up providential encounters. Third, therefore we should always be prepared to talk about the gospel. We should always be prepared because we don't know when God is going to open up an opportunity for us. Uh, Peter was not expecting this to happen, but he was ready to go. When God called him, when God gave him this chance, he was ready to go and speak of the story of Jesus, to speak of his life of healing and doing good works, of his death on the cross, of his bodily resurrection to new life, and his resurrection and his future return to judge the living and the dead. He knew the story of Jesus as one who had experienced it, but also one who had been pulled into it. This was his story. It was the story of, of one who was dead in their sin, but had been raised to new life and united with Christ. And this is our story, too. Our lives are found in the truth of the gospel. We should be prepared to speak to it. As Peter would later write in a letter to Christians who are out in the, in the everyday life, who are encountering the world in, in hostility and friendly situations, he tells them to always be prepared to make a defense or an explanation or an apologetic to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And we are to do this with gentleness and respect, with love, with kindness, with thoughtfulness. We need to be ready to go when the opportunity presents itself. How do we do this? How, how can we be prepared at all times to speak to the gospel and to do it in a way that's not weird and forced, but is natural and is, and is true and resonates? I think that we have to inhabit the gospel story, which is a strange way of saying it, but I think, I think when, when we follow Jesus, when we are immersed in scripture, when we are immersed in the life of the church and prayer, the gospel story becomes our story. We're in it. It is part of us. We are the, as I said, we are the people who are, who are dead and have new life. That's profoundly uh, impactful. It shapes us. It forms us. It makes us who we are. And so to speak of the gospel story is just to speak of our experience with Jesus. And we should see all the threads of our life that we didn't know at the time leading us to Christ, leading us to the truth that shapes and, and orders the universe. The gospel is what makes sense of our world, makes sense of our lives. So we should be able to speak into it, to draw those connections together. The gospel should spill out of us. We can speak about what we love, what we know. We should inhabit the story. I think we should also pray for opportunities, right? We should be praying expectantly that God would give us these chances. And probably more importantly, we should pray that we would realize it when it happens. Uh, I think of so many times when you're like, man, I think I had a chance there yesterday, um, and I totally blanked. And I uh, thought I had to go this place. I have things to do. I just totally missed it, right? I need to pray for that presence of mind to see these opportunities, to know when I need to let something else slide, when those groceries will pick up themselves up later, and I can take advantage of this moment that's in front of me, right? I think we also, when we're praying expectantly, when we pray in a way that we think God will actually answer our prayer, we think that God is actually moving and working in the world, we should prepare ourselves, right? I've met people before who every Sunday they put a crockpot meal in, they're ready to go, and they're just like, maybe some, God's going to bring someone to me at church today and I'm going to invite them over for lunch and share life together and encourage them, answer some questions, maybe even share the gospel. But that meal's ready to go. I don't have to worry about it. You could have um, materials like tracts, apologetics, or Bibles that are just ready to go. If someone asks a question, and man, I've got it right here. Here's, here you go. I've got a Bible that I can give to you that's ready to go. We prepare our lives like God is going to answer prayer, like God is really moving in our lives. And then we get to see what God does. We keep our eyes open to where God is working in the world, and we join him there and see what he will do.
the last place this leads, it's the last lesson I think we can learn, is maybe the hardest and maybe the most tricky, but I think we need to expect that people will follow Jesus. Sometimes I think, and I catch myself thinking, I don't really think this is going to work, you know? I, I don't think I'm that convincing. Uh, I don't think, I think I sound like a crazy person sometimes. Uh, man, maybe that's true. But the good news of the gospel is that it is not up to how good I sound, right? It's not up to how persuasive I am or how good my argument is, right? No, because it's not up to me. I'm not the one who's driving this bus. God is working already, and he has set me in a place knowing who I am, knowing what I am able to do, to jump in in what he is doing. Now, don't hear me wrong. We, we don't have any promises, right? We don't have any guarantees. There's not a secret formula that every time you share the gospel, people are just going to, you know, drop to their knees and, and confess faith right there. That's, that's not what the Bible tells us. Um, we uh, can only be faithful to what we're called to do and, and to share the gospel. And, and we, although God knows, although God's providence is guiding all things, we don't know another person's story. We don't know where they're going next or where they've come from. Uh, we know that God does, and we can trust that we've done our part, done what he's called us to do. But we have, we have no promises, right? Um, we can't always expect this. But I think we do have the expectation that the Spirit is drawing people to Jesus, and that the Spirit is building his church. And so if our church as a people, if we do not see people following Jesus, if we do not see God leading transformed lives to meet Jesus for the first time, then there's a problem then we're not following in obedience, then we're not uh, doing the work that God has laid out for us to do. do. We need to really believe that the gospel is true and it is good news. The gospel is the answer to our deepest longings. Knowing God is the solution to our brokenness, the treasure of infinite value. And the Spirit is active in our world to bring us to that knowledge. It should make sense that this is a good news that people will want to hear when God has opened the doors for us. So we should expect to be called upon. We should expect to be given opportunities. And we should be expectantly waiting to see what God will do. When we close here today, we see that anyone without hindrance who follows Jesus, who, who believes in him and, and turns to him, can know and experience that forgiveness of sins. And this is our gospel message. We are good news people. We've been given this treasure. We have the goods right? The message is there. It is real. And bringing this message to the lost is the mission of God, the mission that God has graciously invited us into. So Calvary Church, this week, as witnesses of Jesus, let us look for God's work in our world. Let us see how he is working and then join him in that work. Where has God put you? Who has God put in front of you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the good promises that you have given us, for the good news that we can be forgiven, that we can be raised to new life, now and forever. And Father, I pray that we would really, truly believe and experience the good news that you are guiding and shaping our lives, that you are not absent, you are not far off. Father, help us to be a church that prays expectantly for the chance to speak the good news of Jesus into the lives of others around us. Lord, we pray that you would let us see where you are working and that you would let us have the privilege of joining you in that work. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Calvary Church, it has been great to worship and to go into God's word with you today. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week.